Hey, my name is Philip Craig. I'm the pastor here at Aria Church. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope this podcast empowers you, hope it fuels your faith, and hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. (laughs) Right, we're going to go into uh, our message, the third part of um, our Love Does series. We didn't just call it Love Is, we call it Love Does, because there's action with love. It's a verb. But there's also other elements to love, and I think this is just really trying to push us towards practicality in regards to love. Um, we, we talked about uh, the first week about whatever it takes, so, so the kind of love that God has called us to find ourselves on in this life is not a love that's not attached to emotion. So whatever it takes, that's what Jesus, that's the attitude Jesus had was when he came to the earth. It's going to have to be whatever it takes to fulfill, to, to succeed I'm going to have to have something deep enough so that when storms come, I don't just run away. I, I, I dig deep. Then the next thing we talked about was, will it last? Will it last the test of time? We see it within the Bible says love doesn't fail. So it should last. And so we want to attach ourselves to a love that doesn't just last a, a lifetime on the earth. But what if there was something that goes beyond that? And we could access that love, apply that love, and see that love in action. That's a very trustworthy love. Do you agree? And so that's the kind of love that God has called us to find our life upon. It's called agape love. It's a love that when storms come, issues come, obstacles come, we don't just huff. Anyone like to huff? Don't put your hands up. Sometimes I huff. (laughs) But I always come around because I've got agape love. (laughs) <laughs> but it's not it's the kind of love that in, in a case of turmoil when there's topsy-turvy emotions it says right I see what's going on on the surface in my flesh but I'm going to dig deep I'm going to ask the deeper question what's going on why am I getting like this why am I reacting like this I'm going deep I'm digging deep we then see we're in the middle of Lent uh, historically we see Jesus go uh, to the desert before he starts his ministry, before he releases the power that God has intended for him. And he goes through temptations, and we see he gets tempted with the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. The des- so it was funny, it was to eat. Anyone love to eat? So we come to Alpha to eat, partly. And so he was tempted with bread when he was, what, at his weakest, hungry. But he kept going back to it is written. And then he was tempted with uh, that he would have all the influence and he'd get all the glory and the pride start, could have kicked up and the, and the pride was, was we all love the glory. We like the attention. It's nice to feel loved. But if we're not careful, we can want the glory for ourselves. And that, that applies to church, to work, to family, whatever it, whatever it is. We can very easily fall for the lie that getting the glory yourself fulfills you and sets you up for a stable life and a safe life. The problem is the glory can come and the glory can go. <laughs> and then, then it goes on with the lust of the eyes. I, I see what they, I'm competing with other people. And, he, and he, the Satan said, I'll give you all I'll give you all the kingdoms. You know, part, part of the reason he was here was to put kingdom on the earth. 
put his kingdom on the earth. And it was like he was giving him part of the story. I'll give you all the kingdoms if you bow down. The problem with that is it, it skipped the atonement. It skipped the whole point of his purpose on the earth, which was to save us from our sins. He was going to give him all of the possessions without the power of salvation. If we're not careful, if I'm not careful, I can go around my life with what looks like purpose, with what looks like power, but it doesn't possess power that lasts. It's temporary. In the, in the end, it's meaningless. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul, the Bible says. And so today, I'm excited about this one. We're going to talk about love a little bit more. We're going to go a little bit deeper, get a bit more practical, because sometimes this stuff can just be too much to interpret into the everyday scenario. If you ever went to church and you're just like, what does that even mean for my Monday? And so I just love that when Jesus... Watch, when every time Jesus was tempted in these three different ways, which were, which were real, which had feelings, which had an emotional response for him, because he was a human, he always responded with, it is written. And the instant thing with it is written is when it's written, it's not, what is written is not alive, essentially, but it is consistent. When it's written, there's no emotion involved. It's on a page or on a script or on a scroll. It, it, it's not sitting there saying, oh, well, I'm not sure. It's just there. It's plain. It's simple. It is written. So it was, it was as if he was teaching us to say, hey, when your emotions kick up, what's written? You've got to attach yourself to something that's more secure than an emotion or feeling as we learned the other types of love that we express, like eros or, or philia love or... All these affections that we feel, which are good, which should be in a healthy relationship, but they come and they go. And so our foundation is really supposed to be something which is written. That's why when Alan and Esther got married on Friday, we, we spoke about making a vow so they knew it was written. And there were signatures and there was, uh, there was witnesses. and now It's now written. So Jesus is a sword. His sword of the Spirit, the sword in which he brought to war with him, was the Bible, and it's written. And it's your foundation, and it's your sword too. When your emotions kick up, when life's chaotic, go find. Don't, don't necessarily search for a feeling. Search for what is written. Can I get an amen? Okay, we're going to go into the scripture here. Um, you can just go ahead and put the, the, the title today is called Pure Hearts and Pure Motives. I'm going to read through 1 Corinthians uh, 13, and this is a key scripture that we would read at a, at a wedding, but I want to bring it out into a more everyday life scenario, um, and just kind of break it down, because there's a lot in this. Um, Paul's actually speaking to the church that is dysfunctional. There's all kinds of immorality, there's all kinds of chaos, there's all kinds of just general dysfunction. People are shouting out in church, there's disorder, people are you know, going into the, the, the spiritual gifts and, and taking them out of context and, and maybe speaking uh, from a point, a, a spiritual point of maybe prophecy, and they're doing it with a wrong heart. They're doing it maybe for self-edification. They're doing it to be seen potentially. And he's trying to bring order back into the community. He's trying to say, ah, no, no, there's something not right about this. It's nearly as if you're doing the right thing the wrong way. 
And so let's go ahead and read. It says in, in, in verse 1, it says, If I speak in, in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Interesting, it's like talking about things which are good. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not easily proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, it, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes. Anyone read that and just think, I'm, st I'm still at love is patient, still trying to work on that one? This is a long list. It rejoices, what's this? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. So, so that, what, was that, what does that mean? That means that love isn't based on love, which you've heard time and time again in the media. It's defined by truth. Love has a purpose to combat evil. There's definition to love. That's really important. It's, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, watch this. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. Mine, that's mine. My toy. I, you know, I want that, mommy. They, you know, all the people, they have that, and I want that. And I hate you. When I became a man, I put, I put the ways of childhood behind me. We're talking about maturity. We're talking about being able to love better. We're talking about moving forward on a journey of love. It looks like growing up. For now we, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Let's just pray. God, I just pray and thank you that you are the definition of true love. And God, when we understand, and we don't just understand with our mind, but we experience you in our heart, you change us from the inside out. God, help us to, to grow up and, and grow deeper in love with you and, and enable us to love better other people. In Jesus' name, amen. So God's love is defined by God's truth. Some interesting things in this text so, so what I find really interesting and kind of threw me off a little bit, they started to talk about prophecy, started to talk about good works, like laying down your life, actually going through pain for what it seems like one another, maybe helping with a charity, maybe cutting the lawn for your wife, maybe doing the dishes, maybe serving in youth, maybe serving at church, maybe dancing for, 
What was it? Not pour down cares. What do you dance for? Cast for kids. And he's supposed to have amazing moves. Come on, put our hands together, Thomas, and his amazing moves. But, but for me, sometimes, oh, I went to church this week, ticked. I'm good. I'm loving God. I went to group this week. Wee! I read the Bible this week. Yes, I'm a good guy. I'm a good person. I must be in love with God. Yeah, I'm doing the right things. But what it's saying here in the scripture is no, you can do all of those things somehow, but yet it's not, and not love. What's going on? See, love is connected, but not defined by what you do. It's connected, absolutely. But it's not defined by what you do. You see, what's this? You can connect with someone and not love them. Anyone ever connected with someone in work, but you definitely don't love them? Anyone connected with someone in the queue, in town, and you're definitely not feeling feelings of love? Certainly isn't patience. This is really practical. What's going on? See, love is not just what you do, but how you do it. And this is what I think Paul is saying here. He's saying, listen, it's connected to what you do. Yes, you should spend time with God. Yes, you should do the dishes. Yes, you should be a part of charity work. Yes, you should be doing all those things if you love. But you can also do those things and not have love. Yes, you should be serving in youth and kids in church. Yes, those things are, are a byproduct, a symptom of love. Yes, you should be reading your Bible and praying, but it doesn't define love. It doesn't define connection. We can connect with people and not love them, but you cannot love people and not connect because love is God's engineered plan for humanity to connect with one another to link us, to join us, to strengthen us. We're better together. You heard that? We are. Unity commands a blessing. What's that talking about? Together. Union. But love is not just what you do. It's how you do it. Okay, that sounds good, Phil. What are you talking about? I can do the right thing the wrong way. And it becomes the wrong thing. Let me give you a few examples. <laughs> I've, been, I've been working, I've seen places that produce amazing pastries. You see, did anyone get any of those buns on the way in? Amazing pastries in a coffee shop. And the product is amazing. What they do is amazing. But when you see behind the scenes and you hear the stories of what's going on in the staff room, it's a mess. It's corrupt. It's dysfunctional. But they still have a good work. I've been in churches that put on an amazing weekend service. You would come in. The coffee would be perfect. The worship would be just inspirational. The message would be relevant. You would go out, you would be blessed. 
And behind the scenes, there's sin. I've seen worship leaders, not ours. Ours are pure, pure motives, pure hearts. And they come up, and I'm re- I've seen people raise their hands in worship, and I know this person's heart. Well, I'm judging from the outside. I sense, I think, I've seen some things in their life which aren't right, but people still worship. Because what they're doing is good. It's not about them. It's about God. So we can still worship because it's about the Word. It is written. No pressure on you guys. So what's going on? What's going on? We, we, we go into... I, I play football in teams. And we win the league. But at half time, there's bins getting kicked around. There's language being abusive language being used to one another all the time. People are shaking in their boots, afraid to go out. But somehow we still won. What what if our life looks like that? What if your life looks like that? What if my life looks like that a little bit? What if we're good on the outside, but on the inside, our motives are messed up? What if on, on the inside, our heart's messed up? Is it worth anything in the end? If God, is the, if God is a God who sees into the heart, sees into the soul, sees into the mind, he sees every thought at the end of our days, on our deathbed, does, what matters? Does he care how good your buns were? Does he care how well you played? Does he care how well you faked it when you were being all nice to people on the surface one day a week for one hour? I don't think so. God wants a pure people. He wants a pure church. Why? Because we cannot be anything else but that if we're connected to perfect love. It's impossible. That's why the hardest part I have and the hardest part I would believe you might have with God is to actually get vulnerable enough with him where he can actually change your heart. I promise you it's one of the hardest things to do to actually get vulnerable with someone. And I honestly believe that's why when we go through hardship, God impacts us the most because we're vulnerable. We're in that space where where we're willing. That's why I honestly believe the church was always supposed to be vulnerable. The only place we were supposed to be comfortable is in in worship to God, in connection to God. But to get there, sometimes you have to sacrifice. It's a sacrificial love that we're founded upon. If there's no sacrifice in the kingdom, the kingdom is usually not present because it operates through sacrifice. For, 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 through agape love, through laying down your life. If you're not laying down your life or have that attitude or motive, you're probably not sensing or seeing God move in your life. It's just the way it is. It's a love that goes deeper. It's not surface. If you're here just for a surface boost, don't expect miracles to, to happen in your life. Don't expect God to speak and to fulfill purpose in your life. If you're going to take like Jesus in the wilderness could have done, hey, I'll give you all the kingdoms without the cross. If that's what you're hoping for, don't expect death to life. Don't expect true life change in your family. Don't expect it because you're down a different path. It's just surface stuff. It's just the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. It doesn't last. It can't last. It doesn't have the capacity. What I love about the story of Jesus is these people are trying to resist the story. They're trying to resist the narrative of the gospel message. But it's very hard to stop someone who's already dead in the flesh. And then physically. It's impossible. If I'm dead 
to the, the appraisal of man. That means I no longer need it. Therefore, you can't, whether you try to shame me, try to pressure me, try to corner me, you have no power because I'm dead. And I'm not saying we're all there, but if we're going on a journey, what it means is the world has less of a grip. It can hold us back less and less. We're maturing day by day. So here's a few illustrations. Love this. You can do the right thing the wrong way, and it becomes the wrong thing. You could drive a car between the lines at 60 mile an hour over the speed limit. It's the right thing the wrong way. It becomes the wrong thing. You could agree with someone in Albania by nodding your head. But in Albania, nodding your head this way means no. You're doing the right thing the wrong way. With, and then you get the wrong result. You could try to tell the truth while talking over someone and make it worse. You've done the right thing by telling the truth the wrong way. I've learned that lesson a few times. Do the right thing the wrong way. It becomes the wrong thing and makes it worse. I think that's what Paul's trying to get at. Hey, prophecy is great. You're doing the right thing, but you're doing it with the wrong motive. It's becoming the wrong thing. You're doing that charity work. It's the right thing. You're doing it the wrong way, with the wrong motive, with the wrong heart. It's become the wrong thing. It's become destructive, divisive. You're trying to get the glory. You've given in to the lust of the eyes where Jesus neglected it and went through a position of, of what seemed like suffering. You know it's okay to suffer. It's, it's, it's okay to suffer. But, but how do you suffer? Do you suffer well the way Jesus suffered? Or do you suffer and just give in to all of temptations that are around you and, and get weary and, and start to get mad at people and take it out? Jesus given it, give us an example to suffer well. And I believe if we learn to suffer well in the way he suffered, we come out better rather than worse. It's very quiet. Can I get an amen? You could try to keep peace by avoiding conflict, but you never fix the problem. You do the right thing by trying to keep peace. You do it the wrong way by avoidance. We were in our group this week, our couples group, and that's what we were talking about, conflict. How do you deal with conflict? Here's a little tip that I've taken on board. There's a difference between complaining and criticizing. When you complain, it's about how I feel. When you criticize, you blame the other person. You make it about someone else. You make it external to yourself. So, you, so really, you're not owning your own issues. And what happens when you criticize, it comes back, and there's no solution. So it, instead of avoiding, we should talk but we got to talk the right way with complaining rather than criticizing. Can I get an amen? Some of you have just nudged someone about five times. That's you. <laughs> Six, you could remove yourself from a toxic person, but continue to carry resentment. You've put up healthy boundaries, 
done the right thing the wrong way because you're still, they're still living rent-free in your mind, in your heart, in your head. You've carried the situation, the problem with you. You were supposed to leave that. God's way of leaving that, it is written, do not repay evil for evil, but repay evil with good. Why? Because that's what Jesus done for you. He gave you permission to forgive because he forgave you. If you don't apply that, don't expect his results of freedom. Don't expect maturity. You'll still be like a child complaining about that other person. Mine. Not fair. That's what Paul's talking about. We've got to grow up. We've got to look to what is written. We've got to look to God's success plan for life. Seven, you could receive Jesus' sacrifice for your sin, but never apply his ways to your life. <laughs> so I've got my ticket to heaven, but your life is meaningless with no purpose. Actually, Jesus spoke to some of those people who, who said, hey, we've done all these works. We've prophesied your name. We've converted people. We've healed. And Jesus said, I didn't know you because they'd done the right thing the wrong way. Their hearts were not connected and therefore they did not have love. You can sign up for the dream team but never get involved and activate your gifts. Just hide out. Fear. What if, what if people, what if I get it wrong? Of course you'll get it wrong. Of course you'll make mistakes. That's how a baby grows. Have you seen a baby trying to walk? Stumbling, sputtering, falling. That's how you grow. You will make mistakes. Does that, okay. You will get it wrong. That's the process of growth. That's how you learn. Nobody has learned without making a mistake first. You could read your Bible and pray, but never let God into the most vulnerable parts of your life. You're doing the right thing the wrong way. And therefore, you get the wrong results. You don't feel love. You don't experience love. You don't have a sense of what God wants to do in your life right now. There's no activity because you're just reading paper. You just, there's no, God's love is to connect to your heart. It's not just for you to read with your eyes. And so you, you, you're in danger if you're not careful of just reading and then tick. There's no activity. There's no love. There's no interaction. There's no relationship. This is not religion. This is relationship. This is not just routine. Number 10, you could pray all day, go to church, and never use or exercise your gifts to build the kingdom of God. This is one thing I, I told our youth and Stephen, doing a phenomenal job, but one thing I said from the start is, I want to make sure our youth is not just a youth club. Doing the right thing, if it's just a youth club, the wrong way, becomes the wrong thing. Why? Because we're, we're here to build a community of believers. We're here to go into all the world and make disciples. That's the mission. And if we're not careful in our lives, we can do the same thing. We can do what seems good, what looks good on the surface, but our heart's motive is not connected to the mission. That's exactly what the devil was trying to do to Jesus in the wilderness during Lent, those 40 days. He was trying to sidetrack him, give him a part of the puzzle, give him a part of the picture, but neglecting the core purpose of why he was here. And that can happen to us in our lives. We can just go to church. That's enough, is it? 
It looks like the right thing, but there's more. It's deeper than that. It's better than that. It's more fun than that. It's more exciting than that. You can read your Bible, your whole life prayer, your whole life surface prayers, and never get vulnerable, but it's better than that. It's more exciting than that. That's what... That's why Paul was saying about the spiritual gifts. He went on to talk about the spiritual gifts in, in, in chapter 14. It was nearly as if he was trying to qualify before we enter into this. I need you to understand the heart motive. I need you to understand the purity that is required for this to be effective. If you do not go into this with the right heart or motive, it's going to be a mess. You're not going to exemplify God's love. The whole point is love. Agape, sacrificial, laying your life down, and then you see the fun stuff happen. And then you see the lives changed. That's God's plan. Love is not just how you do it, so, so it's how, how is important, it's why. It's not just how you do it, it's why you do it. I love this. I was learning about leadership, and I always love to learn. I hope I'm always learning till the day I die. But I heard this quote, and it says, if you're a leader and you see a problem with somebody, this could be in your workplace, this could be at home. If you're a leader and you see a problem with somebody, and all you do is talk behind their back rather than to them, the problem is no longer that person, the problem is you. Because God's way is to go face to face, heart to heart, to connect. Love looks like confrontation in a healthy way. It does not look like avoidance. Some of us avoid problems, and therefore we carry resentment, which then puts us off course and neglects the purpose and plan that God has for us. And whereas God's saying, hey, we got to face up, face to face, one to one. Get it out in the open. Shame grows in the dark. Gossip grows in the dark. Backstabbing starts in the dark. Remember being at uni and, you know, like to party a wee bit. Like to get out and socialize, you know. Love to be around people and drop a few moves. You know, I always thought I had a decent resume in regards to dance moves. Um, <laughs> why are you laughing? You've seen them in the living room. Outstanding. Anyhow, we used to queue up for certain places, and I'll tell you where. Not necessarily encouraging this either. But we used to, we used to queue up, and there's always a way that you could skip the line. And that's how you get buddy-buddy with some of the bouncers. And so all, over time, we would see certain people all of a sudden, wait a second, we're waiting like an hour. And they just skip the line. And so we said, that's it, we, let's, we need to get in with this guy. We need to get in with these lads and start, oh, your muscles are massive, mate, unreal. Just bigging them up a wee bit, and how's it going? How you? And as I look back, we used them. We used them for our own advantage. No one in here has ever done that, I'm sure. We used them to help us out and make our lives easy. If, if they had died tomorrow, we weren't at the funeral. We wouldn't have even known. Because we honestly, we didn't care. We just wanted to make our way. 
We wanted to pursue our, our, our purpose, not our God-given purpose. But in that time, what we wanted to do. And so as I look back, I realize that my motive was, was not pure. It was impure. My motive was not to help or to really genuinely connect. It's probably a bit fake, if I'm honest. And that can so easily happen. Actually, we all do it all the time. We've, we've got to continually fight it. Because here's the reality. It worked. In the same way Jesus was offered the kingdoms, he would have got the kingdoms. It might have worked for a while, for a time, but it wouldn't have lasted. And so I wonder as we're sitting here this morning and watching online, are there areas in your life that you have fallen for the lie, the temptation to just do something on the surface to get a short-term result, but does it last? What's the impact over our life? What's our reputation like in the long run? And so, a few examples of this. You could speak to someone kindly to their face in order to secure a promotion. But behind the scenes, uh-oh. At the dinner table, uh-oh. You could buy a house or a car to compete with your neighbor. Why? What's your motive? You could buy the boss a present to better your chances of keeping your job. Why? What's going on there in your heart? You could do charity work to keep your parents or family or friends happy. It's not wrong. It's the right thing. But why? What's the motive? You could say sorry to bring peace, but still carry on forgiveness. So what's going on? Why did you say it in the first place? Was it genuine? You could play a victim in order to get control. You could look for sympathy to manipulate the scenario. What's going on in our hearts? The Bible says, cleaning, or I think it was David said, God created me a clean, a clean heart. Because he was experiencing the same temptations and potentially giving into those thoughts. You could continue to go to counseling and never move forward. What's going on in our heart? Is there some decisions that we need to make in our lives? Because listen, it, if you're investing in anything like this, which is fake and not true and not real, it will not stand at the end of the day. It's, it's on, a, it's on a, a countdown clock. It could be there for years. But if it's not real, it will not stand and it will not last. You can post online to get a sense of worth. Anyone done that? <laughs> I've had to question myself, why are you putting that up, Phil? Let's see if I can get another few likes here. Because there's a temporary high. It's real. There's a dopamine high. It's real. So, so I wonder if we started to question, as Paul's asking the church to question, hey, why do you want to go and speak publicly in the public forum, in the public assembly right now? Why? Is it to genuinely help people or is it to help yourself? That's only God knows that. 
But one thing I would tell you is that over time, you can see the people, I can watch the people that I've been in ministry with in environments with who have been genuine because they last the test of time. When things get hard, they still have genuine love. When things get difficult, genuine love can still exist in difficulty. When things, even when rejection is there, when there's genuine love, it lasts, it digs, it goes deeper, it's sacrificial. It actually grows in those environments. It's powerful. It's the best kind of love. It's a love that will build the kingdom of God. It's a love that expands beyond generations. It's a love that loved ones hold on to and remember you for. It's powerful. It's potent. It's generational. Watch this. You can give money to silence your conviction of changing. Oh, should I give to the church? It's fine. But that's not what God, that's part of it. That's good. It's admirable. That's actually where we see the only time that the tithe is, that's interesting, the only time that, that Jesus mentions the tithe in the New Testament was, was saying, hey, I, I'm glad you're doing that. That's a good thing, but you're neglecting the former. How you're treating people is wrong. It's as if Jesus is, is, is saying exactly what Paul was saying is, you're doing one thing right, but doing the other thing wrong, and it becomes the wrong thing because your heart is not in a good place. So evil starts in, as a seed in our heart motive. Love starts as a seed in our heart motive. One of the most greatest and freeing things that we can have is a pure heart and pure motives. The reason you feel bound, the reason you feel hurt, the reason things don't feel free on the inside for you I believe it's because pure heart and pure motives may not be there. Because listen, you can still be sad and have a pure heart. You can still mourn and have a pure heart. It's not about pain. It's not about eliminating suffering. It's about freedom. It's about freedom to grow. It's about freedom to mature. The Bible says, guard your heart in Proverbs above all else, for it determines the course of of your life. What does that mean? It means what we're talking about here this morning. Look at your heart. Ask yourself, be self-aware. Why am I doing this? And if I'm not doing this for the right reason, hey, I'm not going to feed that seed. I'm not going to water that seed. I'm not going to tend to that seed. I'm going to get rid of that seed. I'm going to stop that behavior until my heart is right. I'm going to wait on God for the right doors to, to open up. I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to trust Him. Oh boy. See, your life is usually going, Craig Rochelle says this, your life is usually going in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And your thoughts are, are derived from your core beliefs. And so what, what I would conclude is, is that when your thoughts are wrong, don't try and fix all of your thoughts. Go back to your beliefs. What are you believing right now that's wrong? You fix the beliefs, the thoughts will look after themselves. But nevertheless, what you think about the most is where you're going. Are you watering the lust? If you're, if, you're, if you're experiencing lust and then you go and, and satisfy the lust, what happens with the lust is it just matures and it grows. In the same way he said, give up childish ways. What is he saying? Is stop investing 
in those behaviors that don't help you to grow. You know what lust does and, and the lust of the flesh and the eyes and the pride of life? You know what it does? It distracts you. It takes up your time. It takes you further than you want to go. It leaves you in a mess. It builds on sand. And when the storms of life come, there's nothing left. It's emptiness. So here's the solution. It says in Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your beliefs, with all of your fears. Put them under the submission of trust. Not in yourself, not in the world, not in your boss, not in your spouse, not in your friends, in God. Lean not on your own understanding. Stop trying to work it all out. You're working against yourself. In all your ways, submit, come under his protection to him. He will make your path straight, not messy, simple. It's your life, but it's God's way, and it's simplified. And it's full of purpose, and it's full of God's love, and it's full of sacrifice. And it's full of times of suffering, but you come out more mature, not as a child, but as an adult. You come out being able to love more, to sacrifice more. And then you know what happens? All of those feelings that we, we, we talk about, they're there too then. <laughs> yes, they're up and down a little bit. But when we, I find when I go back to God's way, to God's belief, to God's system, to God's ways of doing things, it actually, <clears throat> it recaptures those emotions within relationships the affections are back because why? I've got now a pure heart again. I've now got pure motives and that feels good. And that feels fresh and it feels like a straight path. You see, that's the beauty about God's presence when we worship. It's present. How often do lusts tell you, hey, if you could get this, I'd be happy. It's not present. That's future tense. And then you get there and you need something else. Future tense, it never happens. And so that's the beauty about the presence of God. See, trusting God is the solution to maintaining a pure heart and pure motives. Go ahead and stand. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I hope it encouraged you. There's a few things I'd love you to do. I'd love you to subscribe to our YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify account. This is so you can keep up with our most recent material and messages. If this ministry has impacted your life, and you'd love to help us reach others, you can do that right now by going to ariachurch.org and giving now. Cannot wait to see you next week on the Ariat Church podcast.